Listen up, fellas. 2020 sucked. It's almost the new year, which means new balls with our sponsor, Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-weight grooming, offering precision engineering tools for your family jewels and helping 2 million men all over the world get rid of the hair you know where. Um, if you've let yourself go like a lot of us did, I know Zuckerman did in 2020 while you're in quarantine, you just weren't taking care of yourself. Well, guess what? Time for a reboot. Manscaped is ready to get you clean and shaved for 2021. Now, you know, if you listen to this show that I love these products. I love the Lawnmower 3.0. I love the nose thing that they make that I don't know the name of. Got to learn that. These, uh, these, these tools, they don't bite you when you put them on your skin. That's what I truly appreciate uh, about them. Um, you need to come out of quarantine. You need to get yourself together. You need one of these Lawnmower 3.0s. Uh, the third generation trimmer, by the way. That's why it's a 3.0. It's got a little light on it. You, you're not going to believe this stuff. You can see into all your crevices because of that little light. I love Manscaped. They're terrific. Uh, when you go to them and you make an order right now, you're going to get their shed travel bag to keep all your goodies stored in comfortably. Um, make it a Sunday night ritual like me. I uh, Every Sunday night, I like to get out my little Manscaped bag, open it up, and uh, make sure that I am neat and tidy. Um, and here's what I'm going to do for you folks. Go to Manscaped.com, and you can get 20% off your order and free shipping with the code SPIKE911. My name, my favorite car, manscaped.com. Go there, use my code, trust me on this one. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping. Um, your balls will thank you. That's their trademark. But your wife will thank you. Your husband will thank you. Uh, your dog will thank you. Everyone will thank you. Go to manscaped.com and use the promo code SPIKE911 uh, and get 20% off and free shipping. Let's start the show. And now, Hangar 56 Media presents Spike's Car Radio, a downloadable cars and coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Here we are, Spike's Car Radio. Good show for you guys today. Um, we're talking about the Brits today. Uh, we're going to be talking about that amazing McLaren Senna that uh, McLaren dropped off. I got it for the weekend by myself. Um, thank you to the folks at McLaren. Uh, I'll let you know my thoughts on that in a minute. Uh, and then we're going to go off to merry old England and talk to Mike Bishop. I know we were uh, last week chatting about, I think it was last week, about restoring my Series 2A. Well, Land Rover reached out right away and put me in touch with Mike. And he, you know, we had a great conversation. I'm going to play that in a little bit um, and I'll tell you all about it. Um, you know, Zuckerman, there was uh, a lot of a lot of teachers reached out to me and thanked uh, me for my rant, um, for defending them. And again, we love you, teachers. And teachers are not expendable, which was you know I will admit I could have said all of this a little differently and a little more calmly. But as I may have mentioned about my next door rant from last week, go back and listen to it if you hadn't heard it. It happened. I was banned by Nextdoor right as we were recording, so I didn't have a chance to process the anger. However, I've had a chance now, and I followed up with them. I appealed this ban, by the way, Zuckerman, and uh, chatted with the lovely uh, Alexis, I believe her name was, at Nextdoor National, one of those young ladies who's working wherever they do that crap app, and uh, I was rejected. But I, they did say a couple of things happened, Okay. I, I demanded to know what comments I made that crossed the line and the guidelines, okay? And I found out what they were. One with each of the uh, uh, idiot moms 
who were demanding their kids go back to school. One after one was this. Uh, what you better put down the sweet vermouth, lady. That was one comment that I made that was out of line. Now, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not so bad. On a scale okay. of one to ten, it's a two. Not so bad. Okay, now here's what she had said to me in prior paragraphs that I was not responding to. The first thing she said to me was, you're a moron. <laughs> that didn't get her off? And then went on for about seven or eight more sentences, to which I followed up with the off-views joke, you seem nice. You know, she was personally assaulting me. And then she went on about my wife and how does she put up with me, this really long wait, rant. Wait, 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 wait. Did she get kicked off too? And I responded, you should put down the sweet vermouth, okay? The other woman... Uh, went on a long uh, rant about how I was classless and then put her husband on, okay? To which I responded after their attacks, you, you two, you're a very dramatic couple, aren't you? Do I have to wake my wife to defend me here or can I just go to bed, right? So that's the second comment I was banned for, okay? So I went back to Alexis and said, look, you got to put those comments into context, Alexis, or, or whatever her name was. And I said, you got to go back and look, because I demand a retraction. you got to read the whole thing. She wrote back, we can't, they will be dealt with. But she had no idea that this stuff was leading up to my comments. And as I've said before, I have other ways to access next door. And I have since followed up, Zuckerman, to answer your question that you were jumping the gun on. Yes, both of them were banned too. So me and the two ladies are now banned. Why don't you two? Why don't the three of you start your own <laughs> next door so you can really insult each other? Those aren't even insults, Ferriston. This is so stupid. I understand not to take up next door's side, but I am a recurring criminal. <laughs> and so, well, like any time I'm like on parole. I have to really obey the letter of the law. Like, if, if I were arrested and on parole, I couldn't hang out with people like you, criminals and felons and questionable <laughs> types, without getting in trouble. association <laughs> Right, exactly. So I think that's what they were doing. But it does show the flaw in Nextdoor that these nut jobs will band together and complain. They're, they're committing the same crime. Anyway, don't want to go down there. I, it's, I, I the just think they really teach you a favor. Oh, I've been so happier. You're right. So yeah. much happier. So much happier. Um, it was shocking to see you in that condition, uh, to, to see you have a meltdown. It was really it was uh, not so a out of character. Well, no, it's expressing anger. I was angry. Okay, it wasn't and it's a, a meltdown. It was a, there okay. was a lot of swearing, and I'm sure Bugatti was not happy in their show to have a lot of F-bombs dropped. But, you know, I, the uh, audience yes. gave me a pass. They said, you know what? Every once Everyone in a while... Did. I got a lot of messages, too, that, right. that I was for once the voice of reason. But I do like the juxtaposition. I, would never, I wouldn't go that far. I, I like the juxtaposition of reviewing a $4 million car and then and then melting down over, <laughs> over <laughs> the sweet vermouth lady. <laughs> well, I feel so much better. You look so much better. I feel so much better. And it's it's weird because next week uh, we're, our show will fall on Festivus. You and I and Johnny Lieberman are going to get together and air our grievances. And I, I peaked a week or two too soon. Something I, will come up. Don't worry. Are you sure? Of course Look something at me. will come up. I'm a picture up. of health and relaxation yeah, right you now. You resigned from the debating society. That's a good thing for you. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, no, you're still I in? Didn't. I really do enjoy it. And on January 8th, when I'm allowed to return, <laughs> watch out. Oh, you're, you've only been banned for, you're not permanently off? No, this is a one-month suspension. That's it? Well, prior was two weeks. And then what they comes make, next? 
Well, I hope they ban me for life. <laughs> I hope they do. <laughs> they should. Because I'm... Uh, but you're never going to make it for the rest of your life if sweet vermouth is going to get you a one-month ban. Look. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's always the same for... It's funny. Everybody tries to conduct themselves on that, and then they all get booted off, and then they come back. It, it's fun. It's something, like I said, something to do Stupid. when I'm smoking cigars and done looking at cars. Um, I just want to say that uh, if you're in Malibu, um, we talked about this. Uh, our old friend Bill, the Malibu Kitchen, remember Thanksgiving? Don't he, call him Stanley. No. He uh, has a holiday menu out for you guys. He asked us just to mention that. Um, it's, it's, we did this for Thanksgiving. The pies were incredible. <laughs> I hesitate to do it again, Zuckerman, because I ate... I sat and ate four pies all afternoon, and then for the for the next four days, his, I got a free pie out of it. His pies are so delicious. But this this menu uh, is the holiday menu. There's turkey, uh, the crab, little crab cakes, chilled jumbo shrimp. It's awesome. Mm. Help Bill out. Bill is the guy who helps us with the uh, Malibu Kitchen cars and coffee. Always saves a spot for me and Zuckerman and Leno and Matt Farah and whoever else we want to show up. The Porsche people. Go to the Malibu Kitchen. Um, you can find him on Instagram or call him at 310-456-7845, 310-456-7845, and all, order. Trust me on this. You're not going anywhere. Order your holiday meal from Bill. It's awesome. Um, and yes, yes, call him Stanley. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and read had, the Yelp reviews. They're fun. Yeah, they are good. I had such a big show planned, Zuckerman. I feel a little like Rachel Maddow right now. I want to get to this McLaren Senna, but... Um, look like Rachel Maddow. <laughs> I've always looked like Rachel Maddow. I've always. That's an old joke. Since 2006 and I went on TV, I've heard the joke, and I don't mind it. I like Rachel Maddow. Anyway, I feel like her only in the sense that she has a show planned, and then news comes in, and then you have to change the show. <laughs> and something like that happened this morning via Seinfeld, via uh, through Steve Sirio and Aston Martin, New England. And, and you and I were sent this article um, and I and I when I read it, I immediately wanted to talk about it in the show. I had no idea where it came from, so I just got off the phone with Sirio, who said this was a story in a German newspaper. Um, I, I, I don't know the name of it. I don't know that. Well, why don't I just say it, just so that we're, our asses are covered here, liability was. Die seat dre, die seat dre. What does that mean? Uh, it's okay. It sounds like something that we did Japan from next right. door. Yes. You see it right there? Let me see if I can get a byline, because uh, that's also important. V- uh, von a- Oliver Schmitz und Stefan Mohn wrote this. Um, and I thought I would just read some of it to you. Zuckerman, you've read it. Um, but read to you, the listeners, because it's, it's a pretty fascinating little mm-hmm. story. It's called The Lucrative Business with the Racing Legends. Uh, Ashen could have been the hub in fraud involving, involving millions of counterfeit Porsche classic cars. Portia brings charges, or prosecutor, prosecutor brings charges. I'm sorry, I don't have my reading glasses on. Um, I'm just going to read this, right? It's pretty fascinating stuff. Around this world, they have become legends made of sheet metal. For example, because they victoriously crossed the finish line at the 24-hour of Le Mans. The fact that film icon James Dean raced to his death with a copy contributed to the formation of legends on the streets. Now, this is a loose translation, right? Yes. I mean, the, word, the wording is very awkward. In case there is talk of the Porsche 917, the multiple Le Mans winner, which is sometimes referred to as the racing car of the century, 
In other, uh, in the other case of a Porsche 550 Spider that was only built around a hundred times, it cost twenty four thousand Deutschmarks in the nineteen fifties. Okay, so what they're doing is they're setting up the world, um, and with a bad translation, by the way, of these cars that we all just dream about: five fifties, nine seventeens, and the rest. Um, then it goes into an indictment. <laughs> And and again, I apologize because it's just this is a translation from German, and I want to get to the cars and the people. The accused, it just jumps right to the accused, is a forty nine year old former managing director of a company specializing in vintage cars in Aachen, a forty eight year old cosmetic surgeon from Dusseldorf. Oh, he's a schnorr doctor, and a seventy two year old former successful racing driver and proven Porsche racing expert from Sachsenheim. Do you have any idea who that might be? I do. I do, too. What's interesting, if I... Or Hold I on one second. Let me just set it up, because the listeners don't know what we know, Zuckerman. The indictment encompasses a total of 22 cases, 22 cars, 22. in the most varied forms, whereby the 49-year-old is believed to have been involved in all of these cases, and therefore the main defendant. Even after the raid, he was almost four months in custody and was only released on payment of a very large bail. <laughs> a total of 14... Uh, 14 other, sorry, automotive legends, four wheels play a role. So what it's saying, 14 other cars, in addition to a 550, a 917, a racing version of a 911, models 904 and 908 have been fabricated, caught up in this giant scandal. This is going to be a very this big scandal. This is tens and tens of millions of dollars of fake cars. Right. Who, you know, it doesn't name this Porsche expert by name, but I've heard a couple of guesses. Um, what is your opinion? Well, first, I'll say that in Germany, they have different libel laws than we do. So in the U.S., the article would name who the alleged, right. uh, who the alleged criminals are. In Germany, they don't, but it is very well known who they're referring to. And? The rumor has it that it is... Well, the race car legend would be Jürgen Barth. Correct. That's what I've heard. Yes. And forgive... And by the way, all of your German pronunciations, Mr. Porsche, were horrible. Can we... Thank you. Can we stay on this subject, please? We're in the middle of a big story. You just said Jürgen Barth is being accused of counterfeiting. That's a pretty big story. Yes. Right? Yes. Now, we've heard, you know, stories about people assembling cars and putting these cars together. This This is a... I guess this is the it's just now we're breaking the news on a podcast, right? Because I have not read this reported anywhere. Serio got it from Europe and it was translated and sent sent around. And, and it's interesting because do we know what cars specifically? OK, I believe I know that this 911R, there was a 911R that was phony a few years ago that got sold to a guy in the United States, and money had to be refunded to the tune of several millions of dollars. There are a couple of fake 917s out in the world. If you recall, there was a 917 pulled from the Gooding auction. I do know that not car long ago? And then now, let me just stop you there. That was a car that, when we were looking at it, there was a guy, uh, one of uh, someone we know at 11parts.com, right? Attributed to him, where he said. Uh, 
I know that car. I remember when they built it in 1985. Yes. And I couldn't tell if that was a joke or not. And that was all kind of secondhand coming down from another friend. But that car then ended up being sold. Uh, it they did the old disappearing act, I think, where that car disappeared mm-hmm. for two years. And it comes back. It comes back with new paperwork, and it sold for fifteen million. Yes, but that's ca- that's the car that's caught up in this mess, right? And and so so it, let's be clear: this is a counterfeiting cars uh, ring of very expen- expensive multi million dollar cars yes. that people up until today believed were real. And imagine this, a real 917 was valued as much as $20 million within the past couple of years. So if you can make one out of parts for under a million dollars, that's incredibly profitable. A 911R is worth a few million. A 550 could be worth four to five million dollars. And I believe you could get a Beck replica 550 for about 30 grand. So the question then becomes, do the customers know? I mean, I don't know what, uh, like, you know, obviously this is similar to what Seinfeld was uh, caught up in with uh, European collectibles and that green four cam speedster. I don't, the laws are pretty clear about stamping VIN numbers on cars. And let me be clear, Jerry did not do that, but he possibly bought a car that was faked. Um, But we don't know that yet. Um, In Germany... You know, can you sell it? You know, when I'm reading this article, and again, I'm not going to read any more of it because the English is really broken, but it, it, it appears that if the customer is aware and knows what they're buying, then it isn't a fraud. Is that your belief? Well, it's like anything else. If, if, it's, if we all know what we're buying and selling, it's not a fraud. Right. I don't think that you can, if you know that you're buying a fake, yes. if you know you're buying a replica, if you know you're buying a forgery, then you can't complain about it later. Uh, but if you are being, it's, it, then that would be the same here. Right. Uh, and so. Can you imagine if, <clears throat> you know, and again, all everything I'm saying about that Porsche 917, this is kind of hearsay and rumor that I've heard. But the fella who paid uh, $15 million for that car has got to be a little, a little pissed off this morning, right? Or not, right? Well, you would think. and I. But here's a funny thing. So if you get a 917 for $15 million, which is $5 million under market. Right. Caveat emptor, baby. You're not, you know, a man doesn't get conned unless he has larceny in his heart. <clears throat> what, do you, what do you think that car is really worth? If it's a total phony, less than a million dollars. It's like anything. You think so? But, I mean, it's got the frame. It's got real parts. It's, it's that's thrown what together. I'm saying it's, about. Amelia, it's like it's like I don't know. It, do, you I, know, it's GT, a little and GTO engineering makes those replica Ferrari GTOs and short wheelbases. And what the cost of a short wheelbase Ferrari is about seven hundred fifty grand when they make it versus something that. But he would own a real VIN number, right, on this nine seventeen. Even though it was restamped on a frame, it would still be. His, it's a little different. I, maybe you can say that, but it still isn't what it's purported to be. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't think it would be that low. I'd put it more in the five or six mil category because where else are you going to get something like that? Well, I see. The, the to- sum total of the value of the parts. You hear uh, okay. what I'm saying? I'm thinking the sum total of the value of the parts is a million dollars, but I could be wrong. You, It could be more. 
Well, um, maybe his car won't get cut up in it, but that is a story you're gonna you're gonna hear uh, hear hear first on Spike's Car Radio, and we want to know a lot more about the cars involved. Uh, so if you have any info, send me whatever you have. We want to know. Uh, that's gonna be a pretty big goddamn story, and it's funny, Zuckerman. These frauds, no matter what they are in the watch world or the car world, or the art world, it's always the same. It's there's suddenly a big explosion of frauds and counterfeits. Everybody freaks out about their stuff, and then it's quiet for like five years, and then as if everything was fixed, and suddenly all the counterfeit people, and you can trust me, the dealers say, and then it happens again and again and again and again. 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 Nothing's ever new. And by the way, there are a couple of reputable car dealers that are caught up in this. Or formerly reputable car dealers. You're not going to say them right now. I'm not going to say them. Let's... We'll figure that out later on when it hits. Um, well, if you bought a 917 and perhaps it's not real, you're going to need our next sponsor, Better Help. Perhaps there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals. Uh, Better Help will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. Who doesn't need this? You can be you're at home right now, you got a problem, you just you go to better help. They have a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. All you have to do is log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor, you get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule a weekly video or phone session so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. With those old magazines that people are touching, and then you get coronavirus from Sports Illustrated. Forget it. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. They also have financial aid. How about that? So go to BetterHelp. And check them out. All you have to do is go to www.betterhelp.com. Better, H-E-L-P.com. Use my promo code SPIKE911. That's better, H-E-L-P.com. And join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I could have used this last week, Zuckerman. <laughs> we should have just called Better Help. By the way, you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com with this uh, promo code SPIKE911. I could have used it last week. But as you see, I've kind of righted the ship You're on much my better. own. I'm much better. And that's because I'm not on Nextdoor. I'm not on Nextdoor. But uh, again, I will always defend our teachers. And God bless them that they have to deal with these idiot parents. <laughs> Let's talk about... Um, <clears throat> we're going to have the Land Rover Classics guys on in one minute, um, which was really fun to talk about. Um, especially in light of the fact that last night, Zuckerman... Um, my wife said, uh, I want to make sugar cookies with the kids. James wanted to make some sugar cookies, mm. so she sent me out, and I took, uh, looked at all my keys, and I went, I'm going to take that old Land Rover out to the uh, Ralph's, and I'm going to go get me some sugar cookies and maybe a little COVID-19 if I'm not careful. And I started up the truck, and I'm like looking down the road. I'm like, why is it so hard to see? I had the left, uh, left headlight out, low beam left headlight, oh. okay? So I high beamed it, and it was working, right? So then I decided, well, this is such an old truck. I bet I can drive with a high beam on and not have to worry about people flashing me and upsetting me. And I was right. I was right. I could drive that thing with a high beam on. I believe it's 60 watt versus 55 and no one even cares. Right. So problem solved. Right. Mm. Well, I get home at 830 
and go, am I going to watch some Netflix and relax like a normal human being after a day of work? And I'm obsessing about the low beam. And you remember last night how windy and cold it was? Yes, it was like very. windy and cold. And I go, fuck, I can't believe I'm going to do this. Excuse me for that F-bomb. I say, hell, I can't believe I'm going to do this. Heck, heck, heck there, Hank. And this is what is, uh, this is the, you know, I, I have trouble describing my automotive thing because I'm not a journalist, I'm an enthusiast, but there's another element to it that I'll let you chime in on in a minute, which is obsession, and I think like a lot of listeners, that when something's broken, you can't stop thinking about it just like the sunglasses. So at 8.30 in my pajamas, Zuckerman, I threw on the old, uh, I, I look pretty crazy. I turn on the garage lights. I pulled up the Land Rover to the garage. It's windy as hell. I'm cold. I'm wearing slippers. I'm wearing gym sweats and an old uh, puffy jacket. And I decide, uh, because, you know, forget about just Googling Series 2A headlight. (laughs) Just a million things come up. I decide to take this goddamn thing apart, which I do. I take off the outer ring. I take out the headlight. And lo and behold, it is not a sealed beam headlight. Do you know what that means? It's a it's a jumble of parts. It's a jumble of parts, but in the back, you 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 flip it over after you unplug it, which is my first question. How does this goddamn thing plug into the truck? It's a three prong plug, which that's good news. But it's got a bulb in it and a little clip. And I take out the clip and I take out the bulb, and there's my H four. Uh, I think it was a Lucas H four blah, 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 with a lot of numbers that are impossible to Google that only a stupid guy in England has. It's going to take me two months to get it, right? But I got it. There it is, right? So that took me about 30 minutes. I was so happy. I left the eyeball out and put it in the garage and put the truck back in the driveway. And I'm holding this like little Christmas bulb going, I got to find this. The rest of the night was buying three or four of them from different places. I managed to get one that's going to come in 48 hours, okay? But I can't let it, I can't go to sleep now. So I email uh, Randy Stuttgart, I call him, at Stuttgart Automotive. I love Randy. He's always uh, ready with a dumb question. I go, do you, do you have one of these things? He goes, uh, come by the place tomorrow morning. And I, I went by there this morning. I was supposed to get COVID tested, but I went there first to get the bulb. And then I went to the COVID test. And he goes, I want he, he goes, we have this in stock. I know exactly what you're talking about. Non-sealed beam. It's an H4. He hands me the thing right before I came here. That's why I was a little late, sucker, when I was working on the truck. <laughs> I put mm. it in, and it fucking worked. And I feel so happy. It does I, the lamp point in the right it direction. Does. And you know what I noticed? The out There are two exterior little uh, square frames. They were both installed incorrectly, so you couldn't make those adjustments. Adjustments, And I put them back to where they were supposed to be. It has to be up there with the birth of my first child, the amount of satisfaction I feel of doing that repair myself. And Randy just gave me the bulb. He goes, here, take it. You know, the, uh, you know, I'm trying to get one from God knows where in Europe, and it's like sixty or seventy dollars. He goes, "It's a, yeah, it's a couple bucks here. <laughs> Take it." Thank you, Randy. And that's why that's why I love this thing. I love this car thing. It's it's obsession. Mm. It's being driven to to learn and to fix. Mm. I still don't know shit about cars as far as taking them apart. But boy, do I love that old Land Rover in a way that yesterday I did not. And uh, it's a form of neuritis. 
of of what? Neuritis. Neuritis. Some type of ferrocin. You're feces, pretty good about neuritis. letting shit go. You break stuff, you throw it in the hangar, and you just tell someone to do it. I feel incomplete unless the thing is done, or I have a solution on the way. I feel incomplete as well, but there's only so many problems I can hold in my head. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about McLaren Senna. Um, not long ago, uh, I saw uh, Hoontastic is his name, <laughs> the fellow from Automobile Magazine, um, out at Bill's in a McLaren Senna. And uh, I really should thank his name here. Thank him by name because he's responsible for this. Um, Hoontastic. Let's see. Who is that? And forgive me. Forgive me. Hoontastic. Like, there's two. Connor Golden. Connor. Sorry, Connor. I'm horrible with names. But Connor had a McLaren Senna, and it was the uh, automobile magazine McLaren Senna that they had spec'd out. And he said, you should request this. You should get this. And I said, if only I could. Well, I did. Six months later, after it was run up to the top of the food chain, they said, we're going to drop a McLaren Senna in your driveway on a Friday and pick it up on a Monday. And... And they said, what are you going to do with it? I said, well, I'm going to drive it. I'm going to take some pictures, bring it to Cars and Coffee. But I want to tell my audience what it's like. You know, the car has been out since 2017. What is this like to, to, to drive it and to own it and to be in it, right? Um, and they said, that's cool. You know, the, you know, most of us, and I, I'll put myself in that category. I'm not going to buy. I don't, I don't have the money to buy a McLaren Senna, right? That's a lot of dough. It's a couple million dollars. If you could dollars. have gotten one, it was a million bucks, right? Yeah, and now they're, you know, they go up. See, every once in a while you see one, one, four, one, five, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're an incredible car. Um, and anyway, that's not how I approach cars. Anyway, I approach them by like, I, how did I, how do I use it for four days and what was it like and how did people react, et cetera, et cetera. Let me just talk about it. It's a, uh, limited production car. They were limited to 500. Uh, they joined the F1 and the P1 in the, McLaren Ultimate Series mm. class of car. They're, it's the third car in that series, but not necessarily the successor. These are just great things that they build that aren't necessarily, you know, one-upping each other. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, all uh, hand-built, of course, at McLaren Production Center uh, in Surrey, England. Um, Surrey. 500 units uh, were built. All were sold immediately. Uh, they were uh, listed at 750,000 pounds. Um, and they sell for generally two mil, somewhere between one six and two four. You can find them a little all over the place. Seven hundred and eighty nine horsepower V eight turbonium. Um, Twenty nineteen is the first year for the center. Uh, let me see what else is here. Three point eight liter bi turbo V eight plus electric motor. Oh, that's the P one. Uh, four liter bi turbo V eight. Um, it's a monster, uh, car. Let me see if there are any other stats I want to run through here. And then I want to talk about, yeah, zero to 60, 2.8 seconds. Mm. Okay. Blindingly fast. But what is it like? What is it like? All right. Let me tell you, the second that was dropped in my driveway, like the Bugatti Veyron, the boys left their class and ran out. My boys, right? And I found consistently wherever I took this thing. The boys in all of us, the boys and the girls, the boys in the kids and the, te- the teenagers, the 20s, all came out of the woodwork to look at this car and marvel at it, right? 
And when you look at it, you know, it, it, it's very provocative exterior design-wise because people say, I, I love the way it looks. I hate the way it looks, right? I happen to love things like this that are very polarizing and provokes two strong responses, both positive and negative. That's a very disruptive mm-hmm. kind of equation for anything, even entertainment. Um, but when you learn that it looks that way because it is aerodynamic, then you immediately accept the exterior design of it. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, functional. Functional. And let me tell you, you know, of course everybody's like, well, compare the Veyron to the to the Senna. You don't you would never do that. These are two very different cars. The 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 the, the Bugatti is a is a touring car. <laughs> the Senna is a track focused performance car. Let me just uh, let me just title the, this review if, if that's what you call it. This is a race car with a license plate in the most extreme. In the most extreme feeling, very stiff ride, you know, minimal storage, stratospheric pricing, but aerodynamics that are unparalleled, like nothing I've ever driven before, okay? So you know that, Zuckerman, like when you get in a street-legal race car, you know, it reminds me, at least in feel, as far as something that should be on a track versus the street, as Jerry's 74 RSR. Right. Did you ever go in that car? Yep. It's just a, it, that is just a bloody race car that you happen to be able to drive on the street, okay? So, you know, when you get into this thing uh, and you first sit down and you belt yourself in, you notice uh, one thing right away. It's got normal street belts, Right. But behind the seat, the sports seats, they have the racing belts that they say very clearly, do not use these unless you're on the track. But how cool is that, first of all, right? You lower the door, and you notice it doesn't have a mechanical latch. It's got a hydraulic, uh, uh, electronic uh, button to open it (laughs) up. Something I don't like. Right. And it reminded me immediately of the Porsche 917, where the second you get in, you go, okay, if I get in an accident, how do I get out, right? McLaren has thought about it. Behind the seat, there are two little mechanical releases. So in case there is an issue, electric or fire-wise. <laughs> it's an ejector seat. Yeah, you reach back like this, you pull it, it's going to open up. So you immediately feel uh, uh, better. Um, but the visibility inside was, was great. You know, behind you, not so, not so good. But as far as, you know, I felt like I was in some sort of military spec F-16, F-22, some Raptor. Not as tight as that. It feels really roomy inside, but it feels military and engineered for racing, which I love. Serious purpose machine. Yeah, okay. And I will admit, this is a car you're not going to want to get into a lot for errands. You're not getting the cat litter, um, and I alluded to that. What is it like going to Ralph's to get cat litter? You're not going to do it, all right? It's too much of a production to do that. But when you want to drive on a Saturday or you want to hit the canyons, which are things that I did, this is a this was such a thrill ride and such a treat, and it was so fun to be in something that doesn't belong on L.A. streets. Um, we brought it to the Malibu Kitchen. Jay brought his P1 um, to wow. park next to it because he knew I had the Senna. And, you know, people go nuts for these cars. You know, we've had a few Senna's at the Cars and Coffee. People go bonkers. They go bonkers for the Senna. And I think the Senna is getting a bad... I don't understand the bad rap it's getting. I think that's an uninformed uh, take on what is... Why does it have a bad rap? 
I think it has a bad rap because people don't like the way it looks. And I think it's an uninformed take. It's expensive, but I haven't driven anything, you know, like the Bugatti Veyron. I've not driven anything like that. I've never driven anything like the Senna either. And to me, that's that's the value of these cars. Form follow function. Uh, form following function is the highest expression of engineering and design. Now, I could compare these two, uh, the P1 and the McLaren Senna, to each other. I, I need a tissue, Zuckerman. I'm, I'm leaking Let me COVID get that out. for you. Would you get that for me? You're very kind, sir. This is how I would compare the two. You can't compare them. But let me, let me go over some numbers. McLaren P1 at launch, 1.35 million. McLaren Senna, 1 million. Uh, McLaren P1, 3.8 by turbo V8. Thank you, sir. Uh, but with electric motor, 4 liter by turbo V8 for the McLaren Senna. Both have 7 speed. Both um, McLaren has 900 horsepower. McLaren Senna, 800 horsepower. McLaren P1's got it beat on torque by about 64 foot-pounds. Zero to 60 is the same. Zero to... Oh, my printer got all fucked up here. Okay. Speed stats are about the same. Here's all you would need to know if you are lucky enough to be thinking about a P1 or a Senna. <laughs> this is all you'd need to know. Or an, a, an F1, which is a totally different thing. They would be the vintage version of these cars. The P1 is your road car. Like on a straight line, the P1 is definitely going to beat the Senna. But on a racetrack, the aerodynamic advantage would take over and the Senna would destroy well, not destroy. It would be faster than the P1, all right? That's how you would think about these two cars. And maybe you guys already know this, but I'm just figuring this out. I was wondering how you would use or pick either one of these cars, and there there you have it, right? That's that's it. If you had a pick between a P1 and a Senna, what would you take? Um, Good question. Senna. I would take the Senna just because it's, you know, there are days where I want to get into something truly insane. So after my next door rant last week, uh, to blow off the anger, I'd want a big, angry racing machine, and I'd want to get it out on the street. Ease of driving, Ferrison. Uh, P1, uh, F1, a lot easier. And Bugatti Veyron, uh, much easier. As far as tootling, you mean? Right. Yes. But if you, if you started going fast... If you wanted a driver, can the average decent driver, say like me and you, really get something out of this car? A Senna? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're stuck to the road. <laughs> you can feel God's hand pushing down on the car as you get up to speed. But we would get, you know, like any of these things, you'd get into trouble because what they what they do is they go fast and they go faster than you're supposed to go on on city streets, right? right? And and you are getting a lot of attention and everybody's looking at you and you also have to go, all right, I'm buying exclusivity if that's one of the things you want. And if you do like the attention at a cars and coffee or out in the world, you know, a car like the Senna is definitely that car. And, you know, I didn't meet, and maybe folks are just polite, but I didn't meet a single person who went, oh, God, I hate those things. It was quite the opposite. One, how did an idiot like you get this from McLaren? Mm. <laughs> you know, Matt Farrow was a little jealous. Um, Excellent. But, uh, you know, like I said, my kids right on up. Um, what a cool machine. Like the dyed-in-the-wool uh, dyed car people just flipped out. Mm. Um, and so there it is. That's what it's like. You know, again, uh, top-lining it, canyons fun and racing you got something you can drive to the track and have an amazing time um i'm not sure i would use it for errands or my much maligned uh, ralph's run with groceries that johnny uh, johnny lieberman likes to make fun of me for 
but um, an extreme machine for sure that delivers really special drives and uh, and definitely worth the uh, reputation and the money. Nice. How about Very that? Very nice review, Ferris. Thank you. Maybe your best review ever. Well, I'm trying to get that new car that uh, Connor had. <laughs> Did you see? He had something called the 620R. Um, from oh. McLaren uh, at the Cars and Coffee this weekend. I did not see that. By the way, the police stopped coming. They gave up. I heard that they were just like, we have no legal recourse here. And you know, They did it once. They did their, they did their duty, and then they split. Well, yeah, the word was that they're not going to keep showing up and harassing people when they don't have a right to do that when people are customers getting coffee and people are hopefully obeying the rules. So there you go. Um, and it was a good one. We had a good one. And... Uh, I think this Sunday I'm going to have, you're not going to like it, Ducati just dropped off a little racing bike, <laughs> a little white racing bike with red wheels, V2, Panigale, dude. dude. Yeah, it's hey. rad. Listen, I've said my bit about it. I've said what I can say. You're a big boy. You're an adult. You know, I rode, Do as you will. I drove the uh, R9T out um, on Sunday, and... Uh, and again, I started, I seem to be fucking these bikes up by mistake. I love the BMW R19, but I keep having problems. As you recall, I put the cover on the R18 and had to scrape the pipes and get it off, and it was perfectly clean. <laughs> I, got, I got out there, and I pulled up, and Jay's there, and we're talking. I'm like, what does that smell? And I look under, and I, I, I guess uh, I hit a garbage bag. And, the and you melted it. <laughs> <laughs> but this one was impossible to clean. I was Seagull. Just, I just called BMW. I just went, you got to, yeah, yeah, come take that one back. Yeah, no, I'm done with it. It's great. Um, and, it, my fa- and it was heartbreaking because it's my favorite bike that, I, that I've driven. You know, it's Wrecked a it. <laughs> killer exterior design. Doesn't have a killer instinct, though. But it's, a, you know, one of the most likable motorcycles, if not the most likable motorcycle I've ever. I mean, again, I'm late. The R9T, total, total winner. Um, before we bring out uh, Mike Bishop and Land Rover Classic, let's talk about Hodinky. Our friends. Our friends. You know, I'm hearing a lot about it, too. A lot of people are thanking me for uh, for putting them in touch with Hodinky. Stop taking my picture, please. Oh, stop crying. Why do you do that? Don't be a woman. I'm not one of those celebrities that likes their picture taken. I have low self-esteem. <laughs> do you know how many good pictures of you I have that I have not Horrible. posted yet? Uh, okay. Do you know what picture I'm talking about? Oh, I know all the pictures. <laughs> they were all terrible. If I were you, I would let me post that Listen picture because it's you so funny. Threatening. It's not the, threat. It's funny. Is it the one with the shit up my nose, or is it the one with the condom on the stick? That's a good one. The one with your stuff up your nose makes the kid laugh. Kids laugh. You're like a jolly old funny man. No, it's the one with the condom that you found when the, the uh, Zagato broke down. <laughs> Fitting. One fitting day after we, delivery. Fitting that it would break down right where the used rubbers were. <laughs> anyway, um, Hodinky, let's start the ad. I'm resetting it, but uh, you don't have to edit out all that other stuff, Will. Just let it go, for heaven's sake. They are the preeminent source for all things watches. Uh, they've recently announced a new venture, Hodinky Insurance. Again, like I'm telling you, people are thanking me because you can take the Hodinky app. You can take a picture of your watch. Your watch is insured. That means when you're going away for the holidays, if you're lucky enough to be able to do that, boom, you're insured. Um, they've created this in partnership with Chubb, the world's premier insurer of valuable uh, collectibles. Hodinky Insurance is a game changer in how you protect the watches you love. It was designed by watch enthusiasts for watch enthusiasts, and I've used it. And I can tell you that is exactly right. It makes the process of insuring your watches as simple as possible by eliminating the typical pain points that can make insurance such a headache. For instance, 
You don't have to go out and get your damn watch appraised. I think unless it's worth over $100,000, just take a picture. They know watches. They can look at the picture and go, okay, we know what those are worth. Signing up takes just a few minutes, and in most cases, you can instantly protect your watches with comprehensive insurance backed by two of the most trusted names in their industries. And here they say, right, you're not going to need independent appraisal sales receipts. It's all done automatically. Depending on the value of watch, a few additional questions on protection may be asked. You can also switch your insurance to other watches. And when you sell a watch, it's fantastic. Your watch is going to be uh, valued at up to 150% of the value, which means if you collect watches, when your watch goes up after a year or two and then gets stolen, you're covered. Do you get it? Hodinkee Insurance is available to U.S. residents in all 50 states, even Kentucky. They didn't write that. I just added that. Uh, visit Hodinkee.com forward slash insurance or download the Hodinkee app. That's what I do because I like to look at watches when I'm not on next door <laughs> and all this cool stuff that uh, Ben Clymer and uh, Ennery and the whole gang over there have. Boy, go to uh, get that Hodinkee app. Those guys really turned that into a, a big money deal, haven't they? How do they Absolutely. do that? Absolutely. Right? They're, they're, they're now, smarts, persistence. Persistence, you know what they did? persistence. Execution. Do you, do you know what they did, though, in short, what they did, Zuckerman? They started writing about watches, and then very quickly they became dealers of watches, and now right. they deal all the biggest brands, and they just stole, I, you know, they must have stole Tourneau and all these other companies' business. They ate their lunch. And you know what? They, they don't rip people off like Tourneau used to rip people off, in my opinion. You'd go in there, and they'd have the list price, but you can get it. They don't do that crap. Now I'm getting all mad again. Anyway, um, you know, yesterday – uh, Land Rover reached out. I was talking to them about getting uh, my Explorer pack for the new Defender. Well, the truck has been delivered without it, and now I don't know if I'm going to get it. Um, I, I'm insisting that they find me an Explorer pack, and Land Rover said they're going to hook me up. Um, and then uh, we talked about my Series 2A truck that I was just talking about. And they said, why don't you talk to this guy, Mike Bishop? He works at Land Rover Classic. Um and, you know, he can guide you or help you make decisions. And I said, let's just talk to him on the show. I mean, I, I just don't know anything about what they do there or what they offer. And I bet the listeners will be really into it. And, you know, a lot of them are as crazy as I am about these old trucks. So um, I got Mike on. Uh, sweet guy. He's in his, he's in his house on, a, on, I think, a Sunday night at 7 o'clock because uh, of the time difference. And we just went through what Land Rover Classic uh, does and the history of Series 2As from the very beginning and Series Trucks and the Royal Family and how they became popular. And, you know, it, it's a fun conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just fun to be talking to somebody in the, in, at a factory of one of my favorite brands, the Land Rover people. So here's Mike Bishop from Land Rover Classic. <laughs> There he is. Hi, Michael. Nice to uh, meet you. Nice to meet you, Spike. Where are we chatting from? We're chatting from just uh, near Worcester. I live just near Worcestershire, in Worcestershire, just near Worcester, in the UK, um, about forty miles away from Jaguar Land Rover Classic. Um, that so, makes for yeah. that makes for a nice commute. <laughs> are you driving Fantastic to work every commute. day? Yeah, I drive to work every day, and it's great in the in the British summer when uh, you can you can drive some of the older vehicles because there's some great lanes and byways and you know beautiful green lush rural setting which is yeah, spectacular to drive through and uh, yeah a pleasure 
Let, now, you just said well, you can drive some of the older vehicles. Does that mean there is a, uh, a collection of old Land Rovers that you have the keys to the kingdom? Yeah, effectively, I have the keys to the kingdom in, in the <laughs> sense that, you know, that, well, I suppose we, we, a lot of us do that. Um, and there's, a lot, there's obviously, you know, a lot of, lot of vehicles coming through all the time, be it customer vehicles, vehicles that we're, we're doing, you know, restorations on, you know, um, and, uh, you know, uh, vehicles we have in our own collection. There's a Jaguar Land Rover collection at, uh, at work. And, and uh, what's there? That, that's what I'm getting at. What, what are those cars in the Land Rover collection that they let you drive back and forth to work in? Well, there's, I mean, there's, a, there's about a oh, base of sort of 40 in the collection. Uh, what are your favourites? Well, my favourite's one that I took um, to, to the States earlier in the year to um, the 4x4 Festival, which was Land Rover Number no. 7, 1948 model, pre-production prototype. And that was a vehicle I was involved with the restoration. I was the uh, restoration engineer on that, the build engineer. And uh, I love that little car just because, you know, she came in as a wreck. We found it just outside of the Solihull factory in 2016, about a week after the original Defender stopped production, completely out of the blue. I was in this guy's backyard. <laughs> and, yeah, just as, as you do, you know, barn fine, you know, perfect. And uh, all the, you know, all mostly original. Wow. And we got her, we got her in and uh, she, she needed a lot because she'd uh, sat, sat a, long, a long time in this guy's backyard and uh, she had the hood off and the engine was in the rain and, yeah, it was a bit of a mess, but yeah, we got her apart and uh, gave her a full restoration. The engine was very difficult because it was full of water, but it had to be done. <laughs> it was the second oldest Land Rover engine in the world, so we had to do it. So, right. Yeah. So when you approach a restoration like that, um, and again, forgive me, because I know mostly the car restoration world, not the Land Rover restoration world, but it sounds like you're preserving as much of the original metal everywhere that you can. Unless it's hopeless, correct? That's what we no. try to do. That's what we try to do. I mean, I, I, I strongly think that you know, a, a restoration, most of the time you've got to look at it is, is it is it viable? You know, is the car a restorable condition? Or equally, if it's a car which doesn't deserve to be restored, say it's a low mileage, low mileage truck, or it's you know, it's something which is, yeah, you know, beautifully preserved, and you sort of think, okay, we could probably recommission this vehicle rather than you know fully restore it and remove its character. Um, at the end of the day, you've got to judge each vehicle on its merits. Right. Because you know, the, yeah, the cycle of use per owner is completely different over a vehicle's 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But this number seven car, you said it was the number seven? Yeah. That's something that is significant to you. So with that, you know, I'm curious. So what... Uh, how much of the original uh, truck was ex- worked was okay? Like, I'm assuming the chassis was just uh, rusted out and broken. I mean, go ahead. Tell well, very, me. Very, okay, well, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll fill you in the whole thing. So we're very, very lucky in that the first 48 prototype cars, they had a galvanized chassis. So mm-hmm. this was one of the galvanized chassis cars. If it hadn't had a galvanized chassis, yes, it would have been in a – extremely bad way the chassis would have been almost unrestorable so that helped preserve it the main firewall was in really bad condition to restore that we probably replaced about 70 percent of the metal in it you know but we wanted to keep this sort of the character of the vehicle for for two reasons it was a very striking car from a you know from a patinated point of view it'd been painted dark it was originally light green then it'd been painted dark green at one point and then blue at another point it had all this incredible 
patchwork of colours through it, mm-hmm. which was wow. which was looked looked amazing. Yeah. And from a second point of view, if you go, this vehicle was one of the first eight produced before the Amsterdam Motor Show launch in 1948. And of the other vehicles that exist, so you know, Huey's number one, and there's a guy who owns number three, and number four is in the Bewley Motor Museum. Number five, you know, the other, the others are gone, and there's number seven. So those other three vehicles, they've been completely repainted, whereas number seven still had that original light green paint that was seen before the launch of the car. You know, wow. people who are looking at it then, you'd be the same person who's looking at it now. So we thought to preserve that paint, to preserve what you're looking at and what the, what the light is reflecting in your eyes was incredibly important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but you weren't able to save that original paint, or you were. Yeah, we saved it. We saved it. Yeah, we saved it. But how it's, do you how, how do you do that with six layers of other paint on top of it? Well, a lot of a lot of paints. You know, paint in those days was wasn't wasn't quite the quality that it is now. And you, know, you, you often see it if someone's got an older older car or truck and they've painted it. They often do it with house paints or poorer paints or you know just rattle cans or whatever. <laughs> and as that paint degrades, it starts to flake off and fall off. And so if you Hot wash them and clean them and you know do other processes. Usually, the if the paint the original paint's preserved underneath, that's usually got the you know got a really good adhesion to the original metal of the car, and hopefully it will survive. And in the case of number seven, we were very lucky that the panel work that was original survived with that light green paint. You know, it must make you guys laugh. One that there is a Land Rover classic department. <laughs> because Lent, you made a lot of these things. They're right. There are millions of series trucks on the planet Earth. Am I right about those numbers? There's lots since the beginning. There's a high, survival, a very high survival rate of them. And, but they, uh, but they, but I just mean numbers made. Oh, and they it, made. It, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. They by 1976, they'd made a million. Land right. Numbers. Right. Yeah. So these things are everywhere. I remember seeing them. Um, when I would go down to the beach in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and uh, I like to fish, and I like to catch bluefish, and the bluefish and the striped bass, they boil maybe 50 yards off the beach, and you'd see these guys chasing the bluefish boils in old Land Rovers. And that's where I first started seeing these Series 2As and these Series trucks and going, you know, I... I want to get something that drives on the beach like that. But they were never thought of as collectible. It was a utility truck. It was an alternative to a Jeep. Now, you know, flash forward to uh, I'm here in L.A. and a a, a Series 2A comes under my nose on eBay and I buy it and, and, and we get it running and make it safe. For me, it was always this beautiful, collectible thing. But to the, to the outside world at the time, my friends were laughing at me, going, well, that's not something anybody is going to care about in the future. Now, here we are today in 2020. As prices are creeping up, they're not, you know, like 9-11 prices. But these things, even here in L.A. now, you see guys buying these old trucks and we're, we're all in love with them. And for me... My $16,000 truck is just as valuable as, you know, a Porsche Speedster I might own that's worth a hell of a lot more money. Does it surprise you that the, that the collector world has suddenly focused in on these trucks? I think going back to, I suppose, the first part of your, your story, what I call your Land Rover story, yeah. that 
love of seeing those trucks racing up and down the beach and thinking, wow, you know, that's re- I really want to do. I really want one of them. Um, I had to, That's your Land Rover story. And many people have a Land Rover story. Now, my Land Rover story is quite very similar. I was 14. My uncle had a two-and-a-half-thousand-acre farm in a very green part of rural Australia, and I didn't have anything to run around on the farm. But there was a, a guy at school whose dad had a Series 2A109, and I was like, that's really cool. And he got to drive yeah. around when he was about 14, 15. Everyone else thought I was completely barking man. You know, what do you want that <laughs> old thing for? I mean, this was the late 1980s, though, you know, yeah. early 90s. It was just a 40-year-old thing. It wasn't anything special at that point in time. <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, you know, so I, I went and, you know, looked at the local paper. It was a local you know, trading post, and I bought this old Land Rover, this 49 model, for $700 at the time and, you know, got it home. And Dad was very good to let me let me get it, and I put it in the garage and I pulled it apart. And luck had it, you know, that I, you know, I met the right people at the right time and helped me get that vehicle on the road, and I right. learned a lot. Yeah. Okay, but now fast forward to the second part of your question, you know, how how is how is that those two that love of the vehicle sort of dispersed itself and and grown to you know sort of be at the at the world you're saying you know you know Land Rovers are sort of competing price wise with with Porsches and all kinds of exotic sure cars. no you're seeing these numbers up approaching a hundred thousand though you know for a for a fully restored beautiful truck it's all down to that story that cool Land Rover story that, yeah you know. Yeah, what did you see? Oh, there was the people who had it. On they could do this with it. They could do that with it. And the vehicle today, those those attributes of, yeah, it's 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 practical enough to do anything. So if you have a restored Land Rover, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a fully restored, beautiful, you know, like one of our Reborns, or it's you know, a patinaed vehicle like we got number seven, or it's like sounds like your your two A. You've you've got it running on the road as it is, and that 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 doesn't you know that to a, one effect that you know the vehicle is for you to do still what you like with it. And if you want to take it to a show and show it off, that's great. If you want to go on expedition in it, that's great. If you want to use it on the farm, that's great. If you want to do this with it, it's great. And I think that those stories, as people looked around and said, "What's really cool?" And they, they, it's really captured them. You know, like, oh, wow, you know, you can do on the beach, you can do this. You can yeah, do this. you can do anything in it. And, you know, yesterday I was ferrying my son around to his hike. You know, that's all these kids can do it during the pandemic is go on hikes. So I was driving up the street to this trail and and remembering we were in the old truck and we had the dog and people are just waving at us. And I was just remembering how popular these things are and how they make people smile uh, uh, when they see them. Let me let me ask you a couple bits of Land Rover history that I may not have right in my head, but you know, in general these things started out as farm equipment, right? That's uh, how the Land Rover truck was born? Correct. Uh, Correct. The goal being what? It was after the war and and fill in the blanks for me right there. So the Rover Car Company, which was an incredibly successful bicycle company, then car company, um, post-war, you know, their business model effectively didn't really work the way it was had in the past, which was luxury cars for Britain mm-hmm. with probably about 80 90% local sales in the UK and 20% export. So after the Second World War, the British government said to all the automotive manufacturers in the UK, right, we need to get some money back in this country, we're broke. So you've got to change your business model. You've got to go for 80% export, 20% local sales. And so the management looked 
at their luxury Rover cars. And they're like, this isn't going to work, you know, because, you know, we need something different. And initially they called this stage the alternative product. And you see some fantastic old films of Morris Wilkes running around in Bren gun carriers and all kinds of crazy things. And there's no evidence to it, but I think that's part of this alternative product stage. They're trying to work out what can we else can we make. And obviously he got himself a wartime Jeep, started to use it, saw the practicality of it because he used it to go on holiday, he used mm-hmm. it for towing his boat, he used it for all these things that we use our vehicles for. And it was like, okay, you can do anything with these. But to obviously launch it, you need a market. So market, farming was starting off in a big way, um, post-war because people were coming back what do we do get the economy going get people working get you know get food out yeah and yeah so that was it started off basically as a farming vehicle and were the seats in the middle like a tractor in the first prototypes the first prototype there was a center steer prototype which had the seating in the middle and this was this was part of morris wilkes is a very creative engineer he was he came up with all kinds of incredible ideas he's very famous in rover car service for jet cars that was one of his sort of like, I suppose, his, his crazy inventor side. And you can see that coming out in various ideas. And not every one of his ideas came to, you know, fruition. But if you look very closely at a, at a Land Rover, a series Land Rover, you can see various parts where suddenly, you know, bingo. You know, that idea, that crazy idea from centre steer, suddenly you've got very clever functionality in the vehicle. Because a series right. vehicle is very, very, very clever function-wise. yeah. yeah. I think one of my favorite parts is the storage under my seat, under my driver's seat, with a little uh, locking uh, mechanism, so I could put something in there and lock it up. Um, let me let me ask you this. All right, so now we've got these Land Rovers rolling out. I, am I right that it's the royal family, Queen Elizabeth, who popularizes them with the British people and their use because they're hunters and they're fisher and they're hikers and they like them in the muddy wetlands of whatever wherever they were. Yeah, I think obviously prominent people were always, you know, who had them in the in the media and in, in the news, especially in those days when it was just basically print print media and um, you know cine films and stuff. Yes, right. yeah, that that helped. But the main the main thing that helped for for Landra, they did something very unusual in that they started marketing the vehicle at shows by taking people for a ride. And ah. putting a little earth mound there and demonstrating the vehicle, just as Land Rover Experience does today. All that started in 1949, and there was a chap called Alec Joyce, and I've got um, in touch with his family recently, and I've seen all the old family photos of Alec taking his kids off and going to the local agricultural show with a group of Land Rovers, <laughs> some instructors, <laughs> and people, you know, and suddenly this agricultural truck becomes... A ride, you know, you can go for a ride in it. You can have fun in it. You can do, you can go over that crazy mound, or you can do this unbelievable, you know, dip, or you know, go for this big puddle. And people suddenly were, were gripped with that. And you suddenly, you know, the landers go from one or two people riding in them. And in those days, you see them all piled in, you know, completely almost yeah. no health and safety. Right. Um, <laughs> but you, you see these, you know, but everyone. The thing is. Everyone's got a smile on their face. They've got these lovely old black and white photos. They're all hanging out of the Land Rover and they're all smiling. And, they, and that's the truth, truly how the vehicle became so popular. 
it, it really is. And it's, just had fun in it. Yeah. And, and and so where does, because, you know, early on, too, I was thinking, oh, that's the African safari car. That's the car I always see in, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, Lawrence of Arabia or so, you know, when wh- where does it kind of hit the, the, you know, Africa and sand and deserts? Or was it always there? Because that seems like the usage that surprised everyone. Yeah, I think it comes back to those demonstrations that Alec Joyce did. And as people were demonstrated, they started to go back to those practical attributes we were thinking mm-hmm. about. You can do you can do this with the vehicle, you can do that. And people are thinking, actually, I'd like to go and drive across Africa. You know, right. Because um, especially in those days, there was, there was still a lot of, you know, service roads, you know, post-Second World War. So it was one of those things that suddenly you could buy a vehicle, you could load it up with stuff. You weren't going to get stuck. You weren't, you got a little winch, you could do all this stuff and you could go. And um, a couple of people started doing it and obviously published books. It was, you know, Colonel Vanderpost, and there was Barbara Toy, and then there was the Oxford and Cambridge. And as that went on, by well, you get to the mid '60s, and it's you know a thing to do. Let's go on expedition. Let's go right there. Go here. Let's go there. Let's you know let's tackle the Darien Gap. Let's you know go over the Great Divide. Let's do all these all these cool things. You know, Canning Stocker in Australia, where I come from. Right. You know, right. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. What do we do it with? And in those days, oh, you do it in a Land Rover. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this. Okay, now Land Rover Classic. Obviously, you have classic vehicles there that you're taking care of for PR. As far as for your customers, your uh, people like me who always get Land Rovers, who have new ones, we have old ones. What is it that Land Rover Classic does, like for us, the customer? So we basically yeah we have services, restorations. Right. Experience and parts, you know. So service, if you wanted to bring your vehicle and have it serviced or maintained, that we can do that. Restorations, yes, you can send your vehicle to us and we'll give you a quote to restore your vehicle uh, there. Um, experiences, I mean, it has been a little bit difficult with, the obviously, the world circumstances, doing experiences and tours and that, but we've had a few people through. We haven't done so much, you know, sort of off-roady kind of stuff, unfortunately. Right. Um, this year, but hopefully next year we'll, have, we'll be able to do you know do a little bit more. And obviously parts. There's a lot of a lot of parts we're putting back into the system. Um, that's to help the trick. These that, yeah, that's the trickiest bit of business. I mean, when when we were going over mine, we were tracking down rare parts in Australia. Not surprisingly, that's where we got our door handles and we're able to get those. And, and, you know, I was on eBay a lot. And then I was in England a lot on the English eBay and even Italian eBay (laughs) trying to find these little pieces. Um, It's good to hear that you guys are going to start manufacturing that stuff. So for a guy like me now, I have my Series 2A and this is why you're here is because we were chatting on the show about it uh, last week or the week before. You know, I my my seventy one I've owned for maybe about ten years. I think it's uh, got a hundred thousand miles on it. It's lived a thousand lives before it got to me, um, and it's you know, like you say, it's in uh, it's it's beat up and fun. And what's been enjoyable is this is the thing I don't have to worry about my dog, my kids, my wife, or parking next to people who open their doors into it. It's like go ahead. And uh, but there's a part of me that my listeners know that I like things perfect. <laughs> and so, you know, it's been in the back of my mind for a while that someday, someday, I don't know now or maybe in the near future, it would be a dream to kind of send this truck back 
to where it was born and have them recommission it and redo it and and make it new. It's an original marine blue truck. It's an 88-inch wheelbase. Um, And, you know, uh, it doesn't drive, I imagine, like it did when it left your factory. So for a guy like me, who knows, yeah, I'll probably be upside down in this thing, (laughs) (laughs) value-wise, but that's not quite the point. What do you say to me? I mean, ultimately, yeah, the, 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 if you want a, a fully restored vehicle, if you want to take it back to absolutely as it was brand new. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, we need to understand, you know, the condition of the vehicle now. Um, given, you know, where you are in the US, you know, the, the vehicle has to be, has to retain a large proportion of its original parts, you know, to go back in. It still has to be a Land Rover. Here in the UK, there's a lot of people who have replaced chassis and all kinds of parts over the years. So, but but the, let me sh- just let me just ask you right there. I think it being a 1971, I think doesn't it fall under a classic category? I, I don't it does. Think, it does. Yeah, you wouldn't have to worry about all original parts. I mean, I, I like that stuff. I like to preserve mm-hmm. as much that that was original. But it's not like you were trying to bring in something from the late 90s that there's an issue mm-hmm. there. No, I mean from the chassis point of view and everything like that. So it's you've got a Land Rover engineered chassis and yep. and firewall. Yeah, we want obviously that to go back together because we take the vehicles very seriously. Okay. And yeah, that's you know that's that's you know that's what makes a Land Rover a chassis frame. It's beautiful box right, section right. chassis. So yeah, making sure that you know obviously that's in serviceable condition. You know, yeah, everything's in service. And obviously, if the vehicle, where's where's it from in the states originally? What part is it from? <clears throat> don't California? You know, no, it's not. I know that, I, and I don't know where. It, the story of this truck was: it was bought by uh, at a Barrett Jackson auction by some drunk billionaire's wife, who said, "I, I want one of those." <laughs> they, they won. They won the bidding. Uh, she got it behind the wheel and drove it, and said, "I can't drive this." <laughs> 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 and then the husband dumped it off on these two fellas in Sher- in Sherman Oaks, who were going to restore it. And they made it. They pivoted to electric bikes and said, "We're gonna we're gonna do electric bikes. We're not gonna store Land Rovers." And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I picked it up for about six thousand dollars. Now I've since dumped in about another fifteen or twenty <laughs> to kind of get it going, but that. But I wouldn't even know the. Uh, I wouldn't even know how to trace. You know, I don't have those connects. Maybe you're the guy to talk to uh, to trace that VIN number and see where it started and where it went. I do know that it is originally a North American car. It was yeah, here. Think, yeah, left hand. Yeah, I saw a photo the other day, and it is a it is a North American spec car. You yeah. can tell by that because it's got the little you know little accents you know mm-hmm. reflecting accents on the front and and, uh, and rear there. So that's great. What I usually you know is we I usually like to talk to people about this Land Rover story of theirs and get to feel what they really want out of the vehicle. And if they if they want a fully restored vehicle, that's great. If they want something which is a little bit more the practical or retains a bit of the character, once again, if the vehicle warrants it, yeah, okay, why not? Well, let me hear. Uh, I can answer those questions. One, um, the most important thing that even my experts, my, I had a guy who was 80 who just retired who chain-smoked camel cigarettes with a blowtorch and he really he really was hooked into this world and found those parts and i credit him with getting you know making this car uh, what it is today the one thing we couldn't get right and i know this because i've driven other series trucks is the steering my steering is very laggy and very heavy and the other trucks that i've driven are not that way 
They're heavy, but not in the way that mine is. <laughs> Speak to that for a minute, <laughs> if you can. Like, okay, okay. So, yeah, Land Rovers do suffer, you know, in the steering, and um, generally, you know, you know, generally the way the four-wheel drive system works, and in the, in the with the with the front prop shaft and the front axle, there's a lot of parts spinning around and a lot of right. a lot of force. You know. Do you remember when you were a kid when you got your, your bicycle wheel off and you spun the bicycle wheel and you tried to move it and it was all that centrifugal force? Yes. Well putting that through the vehicle over so many years and that and depending on how people have either repaired the vehicle or not repaired the vehicle or replaced the parts properly or possibly not replaced the parts properly. It depends on what your you is the feel you get today basically. Right. Yeah. So yeah to get the vehicle back to exactly how it should be, yes, all that needs to be pulled apart, restored, replaced with the right spec bearings, the right load on the on the little swivel cones, everything right right through the steering relay, which is which is which is a bit of a nuisance to restore. They're very, very difficult to get out. Once yep. you get them out though, they're okay, you can restore them. Back to the steering box. Later series trucks have, do have beautiful steering when they're set up correctly. They're nice. They've got a great feel to them. They're not they're not vague or worried. They're, they're, they're fantastic. There um, isn't a foot. Of, yeah. There's not a foot of play to the left and the right without inputs. No, no, no. no. <laughs> You're not That's going obvious. seesaw down the road like this, straight, trying to keep oh, it straight. No, no, <laughs> no, no, not like not like some of the not like some of the you know, poor old things you get off the farms and that. Yeah, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, yeah. I have my my record speed. We said it the other day on the 405. We got up to 68 miles an hour. We had a downhill piece of the 405. <laughs> and I clicked in the overdrive gear. And boy, I thought we were going to explode at sixty-eight miles an hour. What is the top speed of, the, of a truck like that? Is is that yeah. it? Did I hit well, it with with, a, with an overdrive? It's around about seventy miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there you go. A well-restored truck should cruise quite happily at between sixty and seventy on overdrive. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. no. With my overdrive, it sounds like someone's grinding a fork into a spinning <laughs> chainsaw. Like. <laughs> So clearly there's something not right in the transmission. All right. Well, we're running out of time. I just want to ask you a a couple more quick things. These restorations, the one we're talking about, where we're going to go through everything, all my panels are fine, but we got to, you know, we got to straighten them out. They're aluminum bodied. So I'm assuming you can take these big dings and dents out. The engine needs a rebuild for sure. What? Give me just a ballpark of the range for a restoration uh, for a truck like that. I mean, uh Coming into yeah, you know, the vehicles, the all the work, everything being done, everything being replaced. I mean, I mean, most people who are coming into us, where you know, where you've got to be looking at a budget starting of around about a hundred thousand pounds for a fully wow. restored vehicle. Wow. Yeah. And and I imagine um, there are guys out there doing that, and you probably have a long wait list. <laughs> We do have a wait list, and um, yeah. unbelievable. So these guys restore these things to over a hundred thousand pounds, which is one hundred and forty thousand dollars starting, right? Well, that's and, important because because obviously, obviously, if you've got that's what I sort of say, it's it's very if you've got a vehicle where you wanted to keep that character, the original body, and the original body serviceable, it, yeah. You know, you might that might be achievable. If you want to fully restore the body as well, it might be a little bit more. It's very hard. So it's really important for us to to stress that, you know, for us to get the vehicle, see the vehicle, understand it, 
understand exactly what you want from it. Yeah, right, that's, that's right. part of the fun. Yeah, and you have a keepsake forever, I'm sure, once it do- it's done. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, it's for me, it's not about being upside down. I'm like, you know, it's a, it's a keepsake, this thing. And I have a lot of special memories in it. And, you know, I'm exactly the type of guy who would do this. <laughs> Let me just yeah, well, say that. <laughs> you're not alone, mate. You're not alone. I know. Well, anyway, Michael, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Um, we've learned a lot about Land Rover. Um Someday, when you're in Los Angeles, come see us. I'm going to show you the truck, um, and you can tell us. Uh, we'll sit down again. We'll talk more about the history of Land Rover. This is one of you know one of my favorite brands. When people ask me what do you like other than Porsche, I always say Land Rover. Land Rover. Land Fantastic, Rover. mate. I'll very be, nice. Yeah, very nice to meet you. Pleasure to come and see you. Uh, can we follow you on Instagram? Are you on Instagram anywhere? Yeah, well, I'm I'm known as uh, 260AC. I've got a, another early Land Rover myself, which is a 16th prototype in my own collection, which is a launch car from 1948, and it used that number as a trade plate at Sully Hole. So 260AC is me. 260AC. Yeah. All right, I'm going to yeah. follow you so I can tag you yeah, when we post yeah, this. Yeah. Well, there it is, Zuckerman. Did you learn a lot? Tons. <laughs> you learned nothing. I was wrapped. You seem very calm and happy today. Are you happy? Well, you asked me to let you do your thing. You said you had a lot to get through. I did. And just to let you do all of your babbling and talking. And so I just held back. Well, that's I good. I had lots to say. I wanted to yell. I wanted to scream. I wanted to be myself. Oh, that's good. But I tried to be respectful. Well, I know you like to get out of here quickly because you have to go make the money. Make the money. Yeah. Um, by the way, our Christmas... Uh, our Christmas message, Andy Pruniger saw it and thought it was a bullseye. He really loved it. They thought <laughs> Zuckerman had a Santa hat on. He said, I'm coming down the chimney to, to take your money, money to buy your cars. <laughs> it's your fault. You may be an addict. And I happened to see Leno's. Uh, he sent it to Jerry, and Jerry sent it to me. And I watched his, and he was in front of three cars. And he was like, hey, uh, so uh, Merry Christmas, Porsche. Uh, I got a little Christmas uh, past here. Uh, that's a 356 Christmas present with the old uh, 991 and Christmas future with the Porsche Taycan. So Merry Christmas. He did a fun, cute little message with his cars. Um, I what didn't, was Jerry's? I didn't see Jerry's, but uh, I can only imagine what he was up to. What's the deal with the 928? He, you know, he was kind of putting us down, me and you. And he's, you know, I, but he's. what I got asked to do, he said. Huh? He, no. Yeah, he was bragging that he got asked to do it and we didn't. No, but Jerry, you know, is the consummate professional. Will have the funniest of all of them, and I'm sure put a lot of thought and production value into his, other than me and you just putting hats on and being silly for a minute. What's the deal with the 944? But this is what he did, I'm sure, at the end of his message. Now that I've done this. I'd like something in return, like Porsche's number one car from the museum. Don't you think that's adequate payment for this holiday message? Hey, I didn't get anything. What am I getting from that? <laughs> what, what do you want? What do you want, Jay? How about some strudel? You know, that'd be pretty good. I, I had a pretty good video. Uh, you know, that's how that, that, that it operates at that level. They ask for something. That was impressive, Ferris. <laughs> I'm going to say for all of the listeners, I'm sitting here truly stunned at that. That was wonderful. 
improv. Improv of taking those. Christmas, yeah, you know, Christmas future. That's why I did the Porsche Taycan because that car's really going to places. But they call it the Turbo S. What's the deal with that? There's no turbo. All right, give me two more cars. <laughs> <laughs> Very yeah. good, Ferris. And I'm coming down the chimney to take your fucking give, money. Give me the fucking money. Yeah, give me the money. Anyway, uh, uh, hold in, <laughs> Zuckerman, all of your complaints because uh, we're doing a Festivus show next week where you will get to air your grievances. I'm going to do a little post on Instagram where you guys can uh, send us your grievances, automotive or otherwise. We will air ours. You will air yours. And together we will celebrate automotive Festivus. Um, And that's it, my friends. We will see you next week on Spikes Car Radio. Thanks for listening to Spikes Car Radio, brought to you by Hangar 56. Listen to new episodes every Wednesday. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.